0: Okay, as we scramble to get headphones on here, we're, uh, we're in the studio today. What are you giggling at, Matt Marchese? I had to fix your headphones. Oh, yeah, that's right. You had to solve my headphone problem. You know, what, um, you know what's interesting around this time of year? It's, it's, it's a different rhythm now with playoff hockey going on. Oh, by the way, Elliot's going to join us to kick off hour two. Uh, I know a lot of people join right at the top of the first hour for Elliot. Just pause, chill. Uh, Connor McGee, he's coming up in a couple of moments. Avalanche play-by-play voice, Ben Goats from the Las Vegas Review-Journal, Elliot, an hour or two, and Chris Cuthbert from the NHL on Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada. Was that good enough filibuster to get you all set up there, Matt? Yeah, Mike, we're, good. we're good. We're good. We're good? Right. We're good. So here's what happens. So um, usually, because I like to sit and watch hockey games and I always have, you know, like a notepad beside me and I'll scribble down a couple of things, eh, things I want to mention the next day on the show, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Man, my notes from last night are a mess. Because it just feels like a different rhythm. Like, does your life feel different on day one of the playoffs? Because it does for oh, me. Like, yeah. everything is completely thrown off. Like, there are sometimes like, ah, eh, do I need to watch, like, the first, you know, the full first period of the 7 o'clock Eastern starts. Most times, yes. Sometimes, ah, eh, you fudge it. But when playoffs start, it's like, no. You start, it's non-negotiable. The drop of the puck, you have to be there, period.
1: Yeah, that's what I you told know, my like, wife. I said, this is the part of the year where the nights can get really late. Yeah, as was evidenced last night. Um, OT. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's you've got the two. I have two screens going at a time, which is nice because then I can actually watch. And yeah. I actually tried something last night, which I've never have. What's that? Watch both of them with sound. You can you, do that. Usually, no. I just have I just one. Do one. No, I usually just have one. And How last night, that? I was like, I don't know. It. It. What? You have al- better ears than me, man. What it allows me to do is, I'm like, because my eyes don't go this way. They just stay for in people, the center for of For people on radio. Yeah, they don't go outwards. So I can watch two things at the same time. Yeah. But at least if I hear something that catches my attention and I'm able to look over quickly. If I'm focused on the one game. Mm. That's why
0: I did that. Tried it out. It worked. We'll see how it goes. So four interesting games last night. Even the one that was boring was interesting. Even the Islanders-Carolina, was- which was kind of a snooze, was at least Interesting. For a few things, and we'll get there in a couple of moments. Bruins Panthers was mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. And how much do Boston Bruins fans now love Tyler Bertuzzi? That answer in a couple of moments. I know Nick Cousins doesn't. <laughs> he didn't pay for that stick. Bertuzzi <laughs> just looks like an old school Bruin, too, doesn't he? Like with he the was one just tooth missing. Or into that jersey. Uh, Stars Wild was violent. We're going to get to Joe Pavelski here in a couple of seconds. But let's start by talking about the Oilers and the Los Angeles Kings. You know, I was making this point yesterday with Elliot. I'll make it again today. I know that there was an expectation from Oilers fans that while this might not be easy, a lot of the old Oilers stereotypes wouldn't pop up. Like I'm watching the game last night and after I have I followed scores and people are throwing things on the ice and they're all disappointed and the crowd is stunned, it wasn't supposed to go this way. I think a lot of that was the story for the Oilers for the longest time was even if they had a lead, they couldn't close out. Mm-hmm. Uh, defensively, they'd break down, assignments got lost, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That, to me, looked like or felt like that was part of the frustration last night for Oilers fans. And the other thing is, LA's a good team, man. They don't get enough
1: credit for... They don't get enough credit as a team that could be elite with really good goaltending. And they got that last night. Now, it did not look like that. And not the elite goaltending part because, let's face it, Corpus wasn't stopping... The first two, but the way that that game started, I was like, "The, the Oilers are going to blow the doors off these
0: guys." That's what I thought too. Leon Draisaitl scores early. It's like, yeah. okay, expect that." But that Bouchard goal—did you see how hard he fired that thing? He shoots hard.
1: What, did, what is what did what did Louis call it? The Bouch bomb. <laughs> I think he called it
0: the Bouch bomb from the point. Get used to it because that guy's going to anchor the power play. He's going to be up at the top for a long time. Yep. And there's a there's now a shooting threat. From the top on the power play for the Edmonton Oilers. Yes. Anyhow, um, to the LA Kings thing. Going through the balloting on the weekend, and we're not allowed, they're not supposed to encourage not to say where we had certain players, but we can talk about, I guess, players that are in conversations. Onset uh, Copertire is right in there this season for the Sulky again. Yeah, how about that last night? Goal three assists. Turn back the clock night. He was fantastic. Yeah. The other player, and we've mentioned him a couple of different times too. We have to go back to 1993, the last time the L.A. Kings had a 40-goal scorer. That was Luke Robitaille. That's great. Adrian Kempe had a really good season, man, and carried it on with a pair of goals last year. He had a good year last year, too. He did. Now, the one thing that I loved, and this winks at uh, a statement that, well, something that Brett Hull used to always say. Did you see what Ayafalo said after the goal yesterday? No. It's a great line, and I love lines like this. I was trying to get lost. Oh, I'm glad that you mentioned that. Why?
1: Because the other OT winner was somebody who got lost last night,
0: too. Oh, yeah, defense. Yeah, we'll get to Dallas, Minnesota in a second. Man, Hartman was allowed to just tiptoe right to the top but, of the crease. But Any good on, players pa- do that. Pause on that. Pause yeah. on that. So, follow says, I was just trying to get lost. Yeah. And one of the great um, hockey quotes that I've always felt is from Brett Hull, where he said, because Hull was the guy that would be out of the play and then all of a sudden dart into a spot, Adam Oates would hit him with a pass, and Score. boom, was off his stick. Yep. Yeah. Um, Brett Hall's great quote was always sometimes the best way to be in the play is to not be in the play. Yeah. Like sometimes you're in perfect position when you're not in the play, when you're hiding or you're trying to get lost out there. The other thing about the Los Angeles Kings, I think we talked about this yesterday. And again, it's only one game. Like I, I, still think the Oilers have whatever it takes to, to win the Stanley cup for crying out loud. But the thing about the, uh, the Los Angeles Kings, and this is Todd McClellan, you know, on the bench once upon a time with Mike Babcock. I don't know what do you refer to them as skating picks? Do you call them casual picks? Yeah. Like, just like shading players off, slowing players down like the one and they worked to perfection yesterday. Connor McDavid not on the score sheet. Don't get used to that. Mm-hmm. But at least in in game 1 he didn't find the uh, the score sheet although he drew some penalties. And he drew the penalty that led to the uh um, the,
1: the, the bush bomb. The one that he drew the penalty on for the 5 on 3. Yeah. If he doesn't get little tangled up there. He probably does score that probably, goal. Probably
0: does score. Probably does score there. Um, listen, great game by the Los Angeles Kings. Yeah, give them like, credit. Like, really? Uh, on the road. Did what they had to do. Down three, one in the third. Dude, it's like ten minutes left. You're up three to one. You're the Edmonton Oilers. You got to close that thing out. And then all of a sudden, all the old stereotypes about not being able to close out peep up again. Yeah. For the Edmonton Oilers.
1: But but I'm glad you brought up the the getting lost thing because I find that the more that I watch now, I see a lot more players. Like I've seen Austin Matthews do it a lot where he actually leaves the zone while yes. the team has possession. Yep. Because you are in theory getting lost and you and and that's what good players do. They go out and get lost in the weeds and then the perfect opportunity pounce and they pounce. And then it's a goal. Yeah. That's what I followed did last night. It was, I thought that Edmonton, especially at the beginning of the game had the perfect game plan. They went out, they were physical. Like they were, they were physically more dominant than LA was. Mm-hmm. And, and then it just, like you said, the old, the quote-unquote old Edmonton Oilers kind of reared their ugly head last night. They give up the late, late, what did Kopitar score with, 17 seconds 17 left?
0: seconds. Like,
1: man, you're that
0: close, and to give up that game at home? Tough one. Whew. Not great. Uh, fans everywhere, PSA from this corner, of the hockey oh, universe, yeah, don't I throw know. stuff on the ice. Why? Like, don't throw stuff on the don't ice. Don't be stupid. Except for hats. Throw hats. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, After a hat trick. Throw That's hats, it. not waffles. Come on. Or whatever was thrown on the ice yesterday. Uh, Stars and Wild. We thought this one would be a rough one, and it was. We were right. <laughs> thought it'd be a really violent one, and it was. Uh, let's just get right. Let's just get right to the Matt Dumba hit on, on Joe Pavelski, and it doesn't look good for Pavelski if he shows up at any time during this series. I would have to consider it a bonus. Yeah, for the Dallas Stars. Um, I didn't think it was a dirty hit. I didn't think that it was late. I didn't think that he caught him anywhere other than where someone is supposed to uh, lay a body check. I still don't know why Dumba got a roughing call <laughs> on
1: the play. We've been so trained to think that that's a a big hit as a dirty hit now.
0: But listen, they gave him the five. They reviewed and realized, oops, <laughs> there's no penalty here. Yeah. And there wasn't a penalty here. Um, I think... I think that Pavelski got hurt because you're not used to getting hit at that spot. you see how far Mm -hmm. underneath the red line Matt Dumba is for that hit? Yeah. He's like a full stride underneath the red line. Like as a forward, when you're cutting in that position and you're in that spot while you're under the red line, do you ever get hit there? Well, not really, but if you were to get hit, it's usually be- the defenseman
1: is usually square to you and it's shoulder to shoulder or he's trying to push you with his hands into the boards. Not with that kind of impact. Yeah. It's like Dumba went into a straight line and Pavelski just skated right into his his rear. Mm-hmm. And then the rest is history. I think people got up in arms too because he came off of his feet, but he didn't come off of
0: his feet because he jumped. No, it was the impact of... Impact, momentum, etc. Yeah. I I think the hit was fine, but I thought the play was kind of a bad one by Matt Dumba because if that puck squirts free, he's out of position. All of a sudden, there's two Minnesota Wild players out of position, and Dallas is in a great spot.
1: Yeah. Could have been, it it changed the game one way, but it really could have gone the other way
0: had the play been slightly different. Uh, Were you shocked at that outcome? Nope. You know what that was? That was a Dean Evison team. Sure was. You might be a little bit. Do you remember Dean Evison when he played in the yeah. NHL? He was nasty. Hey, yeah, he was tough. He was a little tough, nasty, ruthless player. Didn't you see the, the
1: exchange that him and Rick Bonus had before the season ended? Oh, yeah. And, and Evison's just sitting there going, he come just on. has a look up. Yep. Okay, come on, let's go. Come on. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: like, that's a scary man. Yeah, that's uh, Dean Everson. Uh Bruins and Panthers, 3-1 to is the final. The Boston Bruins draw first blood in this one. Tyler Bertuzzi. Um, and by the way, no Patrice Bergeron in this one. Yeah, how do you feel if you're Florida, you you lose 3-1, you outshoot the
1: Boston Bruins, and then you look and go, they didn't have Patrice Bergeron in that Patrice one. Bergeron. But they've got, listen, they had all those. If there was an LTIR t-shirt to be made, it's going to be the Boston Bruins this year because... Taylor Hall, Nick Foligno. Oh, oh, they're healthy again. Mm -hmm. I have no problem with it. Play within the rules. I got no issue. But they just have so much depth that I don't want to say losing Patrice Bergeron doesn't mean as much to them because it's Patrice Bergeron. He's a Hall of Famer. But I feel like it means less to them than it would
0: 12 other teams in the playoffs right now. This is the only series that feels like it could be an upset. Like, do you not look at every other series and say, it doesn't matter who wins, I, I still can't call it an upset? Oh, I know, I technically, see what you're I know technically, like the Islanders and Carolina. If the Islanders lose, if the Islanders win, that could that could be considered an upset. I do upset, have the Islanders. Doesn't, win. Uh, I, I, I don't blame you. But this is the only one that you could really call an upset. And I know I talked about Tyler Bertuzzi off the top, but he was excellent last night. That pass. Well, oh, so the behind the back to Pasternak? So, so, you like that? Is yeah, that good? Yeah, is that it was kind, kind of, was you kind like of that
1: good. One? I, so when I had, uh, you were off one day and I had Billy, well, you weren't off, you were just not here. And Why I Billy, do you say I'm on assignment? I didn't say it that day. Okay, I said good, you're, you're on, what was the line that we used, Lance? It was for Connor Bedard tanking related reasons. So we're tanking the show when <laughs> you're not here. Um, so Billy Jaffe said the one thing that he was super impressed with about Tyler Bertuzzi because he didn't know as much about him yeah. was how great of a passer he was. Yeah. And he doesn't get credit for that because it's always, oh, Tyler Bajuzzi's tough and he scores goals in tight and blah, 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 blah. But he's got a really good skill set and mm-hmm. passing would be one of them. That pass, I mean, guys in the NHL make that pass, but it was pretty. It's and playoffs and, and Game pass one. And, and passing comp- not missing that
0: one. <laughs> uh no, not at all. And I think that Alex Lyon didn't like the uh the Brad Marchand goal that he just completely whiffed on. Oh those are those are backbreakers. Yeah. Is that the goal? When I, when it went in, I said to myself, Oh, Oh, is that the goal that ends Alex Lyon? Cause I, I think we're looking at probably Bobrovsky for game two. now. I think Cheech thought that that was the goal that ended Alex Lyon
1: too. I think Kelly's going to agree with me. <laughs> wasn't that good. What's the line that Kelly hates should have had that one or wanted that one back. Or wanted That one back. That's what it was. Yeah. I think he wanted that one back, Jeff, but you know what? He wasn't, yeah. he certainly wasn't the issue last night. I just think Boston's just a better team. That's what it comes down to. Boston was, Florida out hit Boston in the first period. They were physical. They played with them that whole time. But Boston's just that much better. Better team. Just, and I agree with you. The only other one that I would say would be an upset for me, much like the Florida one, would be Seattle and Colorado.
0: Yep, I don't think it'd be to the same extent. No. It's defending Stanley Cup champions, and this is essentially a year two expansion team. Uh, Islanders, we're waiting here for Connor McGee. He's going to join us in a couple of seconds. So, Islanders and Carolina Hurricanes. Um, How do we pretty this one up? You can't. It's not the most visually appealing of but, all the games to watch yesterday. But I saw people complaining about that. And I'm like,
1: look at the two teams that are playing. You should not be surprised by any of this. I, I just thought, I I still think the Islanders are going to win. Like when I saw that Ronto was starting, I went, that's exactly where it begins.
0: But he's so clutch at home. Like you look at his stats at home at PNC. He is so I, good. So money. It wasn't money on that Pulak goal. No, that was <laughs> – That's a bad – Listen, you think it's Ryan Pulak who's one of the hardest shooters in the NHL full stop. He like, should be in the hardest shot competition every year and should win it every year. And then here comes that, whatever that thing was. <laughs> we we call those yesterday. men's league sliders. <laughs> men's league sliders. That's a King City men's league term. It's a men's league slider. Yeah, that was a uh, that was a tough one. So Okay, so the Hurricanes drop first blood. They beat the Islanders. They lead the Series 1-0. Nothing. Bruins over Panthers 3-1. A double OT. We didn't even mention Ryan Hartman here. We'll we'll do that in a couple of minutes. The Wild win in double OT. Uh, beat the Stars 3-2 in a particularly violent affair. And uh, the Kings uh, now have home ice advantage. They beat the Oilers in overtime as well. Alex Ayafalo, the OT hero. 4-2-3 is the final Oilers fans not impressed. Uh, let's get to the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, they'll be facing off against the, the Seattle Kraken. Avalanche play-by-play voice, Connor McGehee joins me now. Connor, how are you today? I'm good, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I am well. Uh, first of all, before we get to the Avalanche, how much of last night would you have watched?
2: Uh, I, uh, I had to tool around here in Denver doing some stuff, so I missed both of the East games, which... I don't think I missed much apparently, and no. then I settled in for both games. I settled in for both games in the West, and uh, and boy, I mean, you, you called Minnesota and oh. Dallas a violent affair. It uh, it sure was. I couldn't I I couldn't leave it. I couldn't go back to Edmonton, LA. I had to yeah. I had to stick with the Wild and the Stars all the way through till. Uh, 2 a.m. Eastern time, so that was uh, that was uh, quality viewing last
0: night. That was awesome. That was like some 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 old school nastiness. And you know the hot button issue is you know now. put Joe Pavelski is out. How did you see? I swear we're going to get to Colorado here, Connor. How did you see the Matt Dumba hits? And I'll try to bias the jury here. I just think the Pavelski thought nobody gets hit down at that. Like he's like a, a foot and a half, two feet south of the red line. Like defensemen don't hit players there. Yeah. Especially not. I think he was more surprised than anything else. The, the the hit to me is clean. I just think Pavelski was surprised to get popped in that position.
2: Sure. Hey, we can go this whole thing without talking about Colorado. I'm fine with that. <laughs> We're just talking Stanley Cup playoffs. That's good. For, that's good with me. Uh, um, no, I I I think you're right. I mean, it's been a long time since. I mean, and and Pavelski's been around a while, right? But I think the yeah. game has changed to the point where you're not expecting checks to happen at that part of the rink and part of the game is absorbing checks. And when you are unprepared, that's when, when, when bad things happen, whether, yeah. uh, whether it's a bad hit or not now is the timing a little bit late. And we, we, we the game was on ESPN mm. here, here in the U S yep. and and Dave Jackson was, was on yep. and Dave always has great analysis, great analysis. He actually still lives here in Denver. Um, and he basically said in real time, uh, it, it's on the border of being late. Um, but, I, again, overall, the again, going back to the Pavelski hit when he played for the Sharks versus the Vegas Golden Knights. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, making that a five-minute major that, so they could actually look at that was actually smart. And at the end of the, end of the day, I think it's probably uh, a two-minute minor for interference and it, because – the ice and the stick probably do the damage to Babelski, um but it's uh it, it's it's just scary I mean watching him skate off last night I mean oh. my, my heart just the- sank and i we, we have no love for for either the the wild or the stars, but we have love for people right sure and so uh that was just that was just
0: much there 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 were two moments where I really where i really cringe I mean outside of the actual contact itself and when his head hit the ice. Um, to your point, when he's getting let off and he he has that stare that's no idea where he's going. And the other part is after the hit and the scrum starts and, you know, Max Domi's grabbing guys, you look in the back and you see Pavelski try to get up a couple of times and it's it's just not there. There, There's like he rolls over, he's on all fours and he's trying to get up and he's Bambi on ice and it's like, oh, just stay down, man, just... Well, and he didn't move
2: for a long time either. Right. He's he's he was down motionless. And that's when you know that, you know, the, the lights probably went out for for a good amount of time there, which is always terrifying.
1: Yes.
0: Um, okay, so on that lovely note, uh, to the Colorado Avalanche and the <laughs> Seattle Kraken game, game one. How do you how do you pivot from there, right, Connor? Uh, so we, we there's we, no segue, Jeff. There's no segue. <laughs> just, just go. Just go. Just you know, drive right through the stop sign. Just there's no cops around. Just yeah. keep going. Just keep going. It's
2: three o'clock in the morning. You're good. Yeah. yeah.
0: Now we're uh, Maddie, our, our producer Matt Marchese, were and I were just throwing this around before. Like to me, there's uh, there's only really the one series that I look at and I say, okay, you know what, if the Florida Panthers can somehow do this against the Boston Bruins, like that is a legit upset. And Maddie says, well, hang on, throw Seattle and Colorado uh, in there as well. Um, how has Colorado played against Seattle? And if you're Colorado, what, um, what concerns do you have about the Seattle Kraken, Affinity?
2: It, they finished the year one one and one. Their only win was in Seattle uh, in a shootout. Nathan McKinnon, um with the shootout winner Pavel Francis, uh and you'd appreciate this is still never allowed a shootout goal ever mm. in his car- in his NHL career. Yep. how about that? Um, but uh, but that was the only win. I think. It's tough because, and I don't want to always bring this back to injuries, but it has been the story of the year. I mean, Colorado finished with 463 man games lost. And all the games with Seattle were tight. But, you know, they never played the Avalanche with their top six defensemen, um, at least uh, when when they had any sort of rhythm going. I mean, the, the top six for Colorado have only played eight games together, and none since November 4th, the first game where they played Columbus and Finland. Um, so, obviously, that's a factor. But I do give Seattle a lot of credit because they struck me as kind of stylistically the New Jersey Devils of the West in a way when they played Colorado where they just mm. – they, they mm. and and forgive this, they had tentacles everywhere all the time. <laughs> and Col- Colorado, who thrives on time and space, didn't really have any with Seattle. And, uh, but, you know, they're all close games. I mean, both games here in Denver were 3-2. And it was two-one, the uh, the shootout win, uh, in the Pacific Northwest. So Dave Haxtell had them playing a brand that uh, that suited them to to be in a position mm-hmm. where they could win. And uh, so that's why it won't be easy. But again, I mean, Colorado went thirty-one, eight and four down the stretch yeah. uh, after January twelfth, the loss at Chicago, and and. Yeah, I know that a couple of those games, uh, you know, were, were in that stretch. But still, I, I think the Avalanche are different now than that sample size with the first three meetings with the Kraken.
0: You know, the um uh, the other thing, we, and listen, I, I understand that Nathan McKinnon gets a lot of the oxygen. Kel Makara gets a lot of the oxygen uh, on this team, um, and for good reason. Um, I'm going to talk about the goaltending yeah. and Alexander Georgiev. And I know in you know it's it's fascinating there are some goaltenders and this is the sort of true art of being a backup and this is why you know Johan Hedberg for example was so good he could sit for 10 yeah. 12 games and then hop in and he would be outstanding and then sit for 20 more and come back and and was able to to play Yorgiev not that goaltender Yorgiev has always been the guy that needs the long stretches needs the long runs you know needs a lot of games in a row, and I think we saw evidence of that this season with the Avalanche. Uh, Nine eighteen save percentage played over sixty games. Um, for those that may have concerns about Colorado's goaltending, what do you say?
2: I, I say that there shouldn't be any because, I mean, y- you like guys who want the net and are confident in there. And forty wins is tied for the NHL lead. That's uh, the second most. In Avalanche history, behind uh, Semyon Varlamov in 13, 14, and it's as many wins as Patrick Waugh had in 2001 in the regular season. And and you talk about a guy who wants the net and is confident. I mean that that yeah. was Patrick Waugh when he played. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm not saying that Georgiev's personality is anywhere close to Patrick Waugh because it's not. But the point is is that he was supposed to be a number one, and that got away from him in New York. Yeah. And Joe Sackick and Chris McFarland realized that and they made him a number 1 and the East played like it. And they would keep, they kept going to him, Jeff for example on back-to-backs. And they would say, "How you feeling? Do you do you want to go?" and he would always say, "Yes," you know? Mm. Um, there was a couple where you'd give, you know, start to Jonas Johansson here uh, versus Anaheim, uh Pavel Francouz after he came back versus injury. I mean, from injury versus the Ducks again. Um, <laughs> and uh, but for the most part it was it was Georgiev saying, you know, I'll go and I'll do this. And, frankly, he was better on the second night mm-hmm. than the first night. And I, I I think he did that five times throughout the season, maybe six, and he only lost once. And so when you have a guy who who has that focus and, um, and, and frankly, the Avalanche aren't the team that's given up 30 shots a night, 35 shots a night, defensively, despite – Uh, the revolving door with their lineup, they've been pretty good. So that always helps the the physical nature of the goaltender. But I just think that despite the fact he's never started, he's got two appearances in relief that happened last May, Um, Mm. it's like uh, Philip Gustafson last night. I mean, so what if he hasn't started? To them, that really doesn't matter anymore. I mean, they've played big games all year. And so I, I think that Georgiev... Um, and frankly, the Avalanche goaltending situation overall, and this is no slight to to Darcy Kemper, who was wonderful last year for the Avalanche, but the the goaltending situation this year is better than it was last year when the Avalanche won the
0: Cup. Mm -hmm. I I, I don't disagree. Um, I I think you're bang on there. Let me ask about... I want to ask about one player specifically. Now, for a lot of fans that didn't get a chance to watch much of the Avalanche before last year's playoffs, for example, um, they really got to know Valeri Nichushkin well. And by the end of the playoffs, Valeri Nichushkin was in the conversation for the Conn Trophy. He was just that good. Like that was, you know, the coming out party for Valeri Nichushkin. This year's version, and they're they're different players, I get it, but I think you know the spirit that I'm going for here, Connor. This year's version of Nachushkin with the Colorado Avalanche, true or false, is J.T. Comfer. J.T. Comfer is the one, is the player that I think has captured uh, more imagination where previously... I don't think many people gave J.T. Comfer more than an initial thought. Agree or disagree, this has been a a coming-out party for J.T. Comfer. And I I don't know how high he's going to get up on the Selkie balloting, but he's going to be on ballots here. Yeah. Yeah, I I
2: think so. And I I think that Valerian and every year, frankly, should be on the Selkie ballot. Because if you watch him, um, especially offensive zone, Jeff, I mean, he's – talk about tentacles. I mean – Mm-hmm. Valerian Nichushkin, he's got he's got he's got that long reach all over the place, impossible to play against. I mean, last year um, they had a second line of uh, of he uh, Nazem Kadri and who they call Mini Val Nichushkin and Arturi Lekkinen on a line <laughs> together, and the 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 the, 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 uh, the forecheck was was impassable. I mean, you couldn't get around those guys. Yep. Um. But this year, J.T. Compher, I mean, a little bit different. Obviously, than Valerian Achushkin, but um, when you're talking about big face offs that need to be won, JT Comfer, he's in there. Career high in points. Yeah. Um, not a defensive liability. And these are all things that, look, the comparisons here in Denver from Nazem Kadri to either JT or Alex Newhook, the second line center position has. I mean, you talk about ad nauseum. I personally have vomited six times talking about this this year. (laughs) Like, you can't can't compare them. You just can't do it. But but I will say that J.T. Comper has taken it in in a contract year, by the way, for Mm -hmm. him. And he has contributed quite well to the Avalanche's success. Personally, obviously, we talked about his career highs, but he fits into the team game. And... Part of that defense first for forwards that Jared Bednar likes to preach—that's exactly uh, the realm that J.T. Compher has lived in this season.
0: Uh, let me ask you about a couple of the big dogs in the couple of seconds that I have left with you here. Uh, what do we expect from Nathan McKinnon, who had a—I I can't say heart trophy season because you know Connor McDavid is running and probably has already run away with this thing. But, you know, the race is for number two. So he's had a a runner-up Hart Trophy-type season. Maybe that's the safest way to put it. And Kale McCarr, who I still think we all believe is the best defenseman in the NHL, the only issue is uh, the number of games played. So you have a a Hart Trophy candidate and a Norris Trophy candidate. I know there's been some injury concerns around Kale McCarr. He's good to go, though. What do we look for with these two players specifically?
2: Yeah, I mean Nathan McKinnon, one of the best points per game players in the postseason in NHL history. Um I mean you're talking almost a point and a half per game when it comes to the playoffs. And um he loves the big stage and and look, that's why you look back and say, Wait, how how did he not have any game winners in the postseason last year? How does that <laughs> how does that happen? Now he he scored he scored big goals that didn't turn out to be game winners, don't get me wrong. But um McKinnon and Nico Rantanen, the two of them carried this team on their back pretty much down the the second half of the season. And I mean, Nathan McKinnon from that January 12th mark, I believe Jeff only had one fewer point than Connor McDavid did. Mm -hmm. Um, Nico Ranton and broke Joe Sackick's record of, of 54 goals in a season with 55 this year um, to be the first 50 goal scorer since Milan. Hayduke in Oh three. Um, so those two in particular among the forwards are the reason that the avalanche not only made the playoffs, but but won the central division and, and Kale McCarr, even at, with missing 20 plus games, uh, still leads the NHL and time on ice first out ever to do that for the regular season. Um, which is amazing considering that Ray Bork and Rob Blake played in this town, Adam foot at one point. Yep. Um, but, uh, but I mean, Cale McCarr is, is one of the biggest difference makers, plain and simple. And when he's 100%, and he said at practice yesterday that he is, when Cale McCarr is 100%, he can, he can change a shift. He can change uh, a five-minute span. He can change a period. He can change a game. So um, I think you have two of the biggest game-breakers in the National Hockey League um, on the ice tonight uh, for the Avalanche and Nathan McKinnon and Cale McCarr.
0: We always say if Connor McDavid were a defenseman, he would be... Kale McCarr, very much looking Kiel forward McCarr. to this one. <laughs> Kyle McCarr, uh, Connor McGahey, thanks as always for stopping by, man. You have such a great call, great insight into the team as well. Thanks so much for stopping by today. Enjoy Game One, uh, the Colorado Avalanche and the Seattle Kraken. That game gets underway at Sportsnet three hundred and sixty. By the way, at ten o'clock Eastern. Connor, thanks as always, pal. Thank you, Jeff. Talk to you soon, Connor McGahey, uh, Avalanche play-by-play voice. It is the Avalanche and the Kraken Game One. That one is on three hundred and sixty. Let's hear a. Distribution for tonight. The Rangers and Devils. Oh, give me some of this one. Seven o'clock Eastern, Sportsnet 360. Uh, meanwhile, 730. Love the staggers. Uh, CBC Sports at East, Ontario and Pacific. It is the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Toronto Maple Leafs. More on this series in a couple of moments. On Sportsnet West at 9:30 Eastern, the Winnipeg Jets facing off against the Golden Knights. It is Hellebuck versus Boissois, who faces off against his old team. And we just mentioned the Kraken and the Avalanche, big one. Uh, Tonight, speaking of the Las Vegas uh, uh, Golden Knights, uh, Ben Goats from the uh, Las Vegas Review-Journal stops by to talk about the return of Mark Stone and the Vegas Golden Knights facing off against Winnipeg. Elliot Friedman coming up to kick off Hour 2. Chris Cuthbert uh, as well. So big 90 minutes remaining here. Uh, And again, last night was fantastic. I know the first game wasn't exactly the most exciting, but come on, you stuck with the whole night by the end of it. You're on the edge of your, I want to say seat, but probably by then you'd gone to bed. So maybe on the edge of your bed, uh, watching the double OT between the Wild and the Stars and the OT in Los Angeles, Edmonton. All right, uh, we hope for some more goodness tonight and it's the first round of the playoffs, so we'll probably get it. Ben Goats joins me in a couple of moments from the Las Vegas Review-Journal. It is the Golden Knights facing off against the Jets. Comments and moments across the Sportsnet Radio Network, Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. It's the Merrick Show. Back in a moment.
3: Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays, Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
0: So real quick update here. I had the conversation in the opening of the uh, program about Alex Lyon and the Brad Marchand goal last night, uh, to which Kevin Woodley from In goal Magazine complete with, with, uh, with screen caps from the goal, that the equipment, it was the equipment that failed Alex Lyon. And here's the explanation. The fail is, it hits the edge of the glove and the pocket collapses backwards, allowing the puck to essentially go through it. It's because the pocket edge materials haven't been reinforced and soften up as goalies try to break in the glove and have it present super wide and stretch it out. At the end of the day, on the shot from that distance, catch it in the pocket cleanly, but he lost all margin for error because the equipment failed him in the moment. The goalie fraternity defending their own. I always appreciate Kevin Woodley calling and texting for clarification on things. All right, uh, tonight, four games on the go around the NHL. Uh, Winnipeg Jets fans have their eyes on this one, and why not? The Vegas Golden Knights hosting the Winnipeg Jets. Ben Goats joins me from the Las Vegas Review-Journal for comments on this one and the return of Mark Stone and the playoff debut of Jack Eichel. Ben, how are you?
4: I'm doing well. I mean, I'm excited. I think last night was obviously a great appetizer (laughs) in terms of day one of playoff hockey. It got me pumped. I'm ready to
0: get started. Well, it took a while to get going. Like that Islanders-Carolina game, was it the most exciting affair we've seen? And, you know, the Bruins-Panthers had moments, but like by the time we got to Dallas and Minnesota and then Edmonton and Los Angeles, it was like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, this is the playoff hockey that, uh, that we, uh, that we expect and, and love so much. Uh, before we get to uh, Vegas and Winnipeg here, what did it for you? Like what was the big either game of interest, moment of interest, what captured your imagination from day one?
4: Oh, it was definitely Minnesota and Dallas. I loved watching those two teams play yeah. each other so hard, so physical. And the goaltending was just, unbelievable i mean jake ottinger obviously he lost but oh my gosh i don't know how you wouldn't want that guy on your team any day of the week some of the saves he made were just unreal so i'm really excited to see how that series progresses uh
0: i think it'll be violent i don't think there's any there's much if any love lost between these uh these two sides and when you talk about goaltenders man like philip gustafson was excellent he's been excellent all year um he's been a real nice uh real nice find well it was a trade Um, for the minnesota wild this season all right uh what do you expect tonight i mean vegas uh i mean vegas you know speaking of minnesota whenever vegas and minnesota get together those are, are fantastic games uh we're used to seeing vegas have outstanding games against the colorado avalanche just from a style point of view and styles make fights styles make games how does this one look to you before they drop the puck the vegas golden knights and the winnipeg jets what do we look for here
4: Yeah, what I'm really looking for is the transition game of both teams and who's going to be able to kind of outskate the other up and down the ice. Obviously, Winnipeg, especially with that top line, so, so good off the rush when you're talking about Connor, Dubois, Shifley, and then you've got guys like Morrissey joining the rush, Nate Schmidt, who Knights fans are very familiar with. But this has been a Golden Knights team that all year has done really well defending opponents when they're coming at them and not giving up a lot of odd man rushes. And if the Knights continue to do that, defend really well, maybe turn some pucks over at the defensive blue liner in the neutral zone. Mm-hmm. then I think that actually plays really well into their hands because they're a team that historically in the playoffs we've seen, they don't really score a lot in the zone. Even the power play is not necessarily a good source of offense for them, but if you give them time and space in transition, they can burn you. So I'm really curious to see how that, Battle plays out tonight and throughout the series. Whether the Jets are going to be able to execute on the opportunities that I think they're going to be aggressive in creating, and whether the Knights then take advantage of that and turn enough pucks over to give themselves enough opportunities for good chances Mm -hmm. on Connor Hellebuck. Because I think, like I said, in zone, especially when Hellebuck's going to be able to be set and read plays, I think it's going to be really, really tough. For the Knights to beat him.
0: What do you expect out of Mark Stone? Like I, we all know how great stone is when he's healthy. Like, I still don't know how the, you know, the sulky trophy has eluded him all these seasons. I get it. He's a winger and it's now pretty much the domain of the centers, but nonetheless, um, back injuries are, I don't know, to be kind, weird, um, and can rear their ugly head at any given time, whether it's on the shift, uh, on the bench in the room, What do you expect out of Stone this evening?
4: Yeah, I'm really curious to see how he looks. I think the good news for Stone, we saw this when he came back from his back injury uh, last year. It's not like he's a burner where you're worried about, you know, those big wheels being depleted. Obviously what makes his game so special is his smarts and that stick that just, it looks like he's using a tennis racket out there to bat down pucks in the neutral zone. Um, I think the expectation for the Knights, and obviously they were trying to downplay you know, how he's going to look in his first game in three months when he talked yesterday. I think it's just find areas to help the team. I think that's going to be it for him. They're starting him on what looks to be kind of a quote-unquote third line with Michael Matteo and Chandler Stevenson. If they Mm -hmm. can play well, lower down the lineup, and tilt the ice a couple different times, I think that's going to help out the Knights a lot. If he can help that power play that really crumbled in his absence by being an option – by the side of the net or behind the net, making passing plays and reads down there and get the puck moving a little bit better on that top. You know, I think that's going to be a huge boost for this team. And then obviously just his energy, right? I mean, his celebrations are legendary. He's trying to high-five guys' hands off, it feels like, every time one of his teammates scores. I think they're going to really be excited to have that back on the bench. Mm-hmm. So if he can just you know add a little bit of oomph to all those little things for the night, I think they're going to be happy with what he's doing, I mean, he even said it yesterday that like this team was rolling down the stretch. I don't need to come in and kind of be this dominant force to completely change the tide of this series. If I can just help make this team a little bit better, then I think I've done my job, and I think that should probably be where expectations are for
0: Game One. So there's a um, uh, there's a couple of goaltenders that really saved their team's season, and early it was Phoenix Copley with the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, who came in and as you know, their their, their two starters or their their two uh, netminders for the beginning of the season uh, faltered. It's um, it was up to Phoenix Copley and he kept them in the conversation and he kept them in the playoff spot. And down the stretch uh, for the Florida Panthers, it was with all due respect to Matthew Kachuk and his contributions. You know, get a lot of hard trophy consideration because of it. This was all about Alex Lyon and what he was able to do and you know keep his keep his team in the in the playoff hunt and ultimately got them a playoff spot but should we include Laurent Boissois in the conversation of goaltenders that came in who were not expected to be the number 1 who ended up saving their team season
4: I definitely think he has an argument I mean undefeated in regulation played so good down the stretch to get this team the Pacific Division title and the number 1 seed in the Western Conference, and just like all of those guys, as you said, came out of nowhere. I mean, this was a guy that was on waivers at the beginning of the season. Anyone in the NHL could have picked up the Knights playoff starter, uh, and it didn't (laughs) happen, and it's a total credit to him that he accepted kind of passing through waivers and going to the American Hockey League in stride. He worked really hard down there. The Silver Knights coaches raved about his professionalism and how he helped out, especially there young defenseman and he's been really good as well obviously he had the surgery this off season he said it feels like he has access to different parts of his body he's able to be more in control in the net and not feel like he has to push himself to make really big saves and he's definitely earned this number one job and you know he's fired up playing against his old team and oh, former for goalie sure. partner and Connor Hellebuck. It's a tremendous matchup.
0: You know, I'll I'll tell you what. I am so impressed with Brossois because normally, and maybe I shouldn't be like this, but I've just I've just seen it happen so many times that you know a player has hip surgery, and right away, whenever I hear someone's having hip surgery, I always write off the next season. I say, okay, the next season they're not going to be anywhere close to the same. Specifically, goaltenders. Like, considering the wear and tear on a goalie's knees, on a goalie's hips, not just during the games, but in practice, up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, I say to myself, okay, if you're coming off hip surgery, whether it's one hip surgery, whether it's two hip surgeries, as we know, uh, I say to myself, right off the next season, I'm stunned, to be honest with you, that Laurent Bossois has been able to turn in this season considering what he went through last offseason season it kind of defies everything we believe that an athlete can do after having something as significant as hip surgery, and more specifically, as a goaltender. I don't know that we can talk about that enough.
4: Yeah, it's special, which is interesting, because I think what's interesting about Persuad is that he's always had that athleticism, that flexibility that stands out. He just hasn't been able to stay healthy, but I think that's what's been really impressive about his recovery. I mean, I was talking to Devin Dubnik yesterday. He's worked out with Persuad in the offseason. He's like, the stuff that this guy can do strength-wise is just unreal and unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And so, obviously, that really played a factor in him being able to come back and come back strong. Now, it did take him a while. I think he would be the first to admit his first couple American Hockey League starts were not good and not up to par. He didn't even make it through his second start on his conditioning Stint with the Silver Knights, but I think in some ways the lengthy time in the American Hockey League did help him in terms of he was able to work on his game in kind of a less pressure packed environment. He was sort of able to rebuild his technique, figure out what he could get away with, what he could not with his new body. I mean, this was an issue that he's dealt with since junior hockey, yeah. and he's had to learn to manage that hip for a very um, strong number of years and so I think he was excited to kind of figure out like oh I can actually do this or my body's able to you know move this way I didn't know that was possible mm. and obviously it's had him really brimming with confidence since coming back up to the NHL and he's been tremendous since the Knights gave him an opportunity when Logan Thompson
0: went down uh, I want to try to squeeze in a quick thought here on, uh, on Ivan Barbashev but before I get there uh, what do you expect out of Jack Eichel tonight? Like, it's it's bizarre. Here we are, however many years since the Fort Lauderdale draft, where Eichel goes second overall and Connor McDavid goes first, um, that this is the playoff debut for Jack Eichel. Finally, he's arrived in the postseason. Um, ben, to which you say what?
4: Uh, that he's excited and he's ready to cross off that narrative that he can't make it in the playoffs. I mean, you can tell that this has just been a fire that's been burning under him for a while he's so competitive he wants to be in these type of games and i think it's crushed him for a very long time that he wasn't able to do it uh it's funny even when the ncaa hockey tournament came around you know about a month or so ago i mean he was still talking about how he was upset about you know his boston university team didn't finish off <laughs> uh, his season with the champions like you can yeah. tell just listening to him talk it's still like a big regret for him that they didn't win that championship game so the fact that you know he's still stewing about that you know about eight years later uh, i think tells you all you need to know about how much jack eichel burns to win and how excited he is uh, to be uh, you know still playing this time of year i mean i think they're going to lean on him a lot like the Mark Stone's coming back but I don't think they want to put too much on his shoulders mm-hmm. right away so I think it's going to be on Eichel to drive a lot of the offense for the night take advantage of the transition opportunities we talked about if they are available and prove to everyone that he belongs on this stage
0: you know one of my favorite trades at uh, in and around deadline was Kelly McCrimmon picking up Ivan Barbashev from the St. Louis Blues like that was a Man, man, that was a trade made specifically for the playoffs. Those types of players excel in the playoffs. What is the expectation for Barbashev? I know it wasn't, you know, the biggest deal. It wasn't the sexiest trade around deadline, but usually it's those deals that really kind of tend to have the biggest impact. And I looked at the Barbashev yeah. deal and said, you know what? That's a great playoff trade by Kelly McCrimmon.
4: Yeah, he's just been the perfect puzzle piece to fit in on this team. He's provided just something that they didn't have before in terms of that, you know, gritty net front presence willing to go to the dirty areas of the ice on offense, which has really complimented Eichel and Jonathan Marchau when they've been on a line together. But he's fit in all over the place. I mean he, Chandler Stevenson and Phil Castle formed a great line mm. for a little bit there. They scored three goals on three shifts in a really key late season win against the Los Angeles Kings. So he's going to start on that top line, but I would expect throughout the postseason, we're going to see Ivan Barbashev moving around a lot of different places. And I think that has to give Bruce Cassidy a tremendous amount of relief that he's got that kind of movable chess piece, which whatever matchup he wants to look to exploit or whatever line he thinks needs just that extra little piece. Mm -hmm. He's got a guy that can do it. And Barbashev has really shown that he can play wherever Uh, with these nights so far. And he's made a really strong impact with 16 points in 23 games.
0: And not shy uh, as well. Keep your head up when Barbashev is out there. Real quick, I got about 30 seconds for this. Um, He's not going to win the Norris Trophy, but he had a really good season. He's Alex Petrangelo. Uh, I know that you haven't, and I know that Vegas fans haven't, but has the rest of the NHL slept on how good a season Alex Petrangelo just had?
4: I think so. I mean I get it. I tried to fill out my Norris ballot of course over the weekend. There were so many guys <laughs> <I know. laughs> that belonged it was the hardest category for me. But yeah, I mean same. he's been incredible. I mean everyone that you talked to in the Knights' locker room was like he's a horse. He even took a face off this year. So as his partner said, Alec Martinez, he really does everything for this team and he's having absolutely a tremendous year, Alex Trancelo
0: really is in 24 minutes a night uh, for Bruce Cassidy's squad. Well, listen, we're looking forward to this one. Um, It is the Vegas Golden Knights and the Winnipeg Jets. uh, Laurent Boissois, hip surgery and all, facing off against his former team in Manitoba. Uh, We look forward to this. Uh, Day one uh, is always a special one. Uh, So enjoy game one, and we will check in regularly because I think, Ben, we expect the Vegas Golden Knights to kind of have a little bit of a run here. We'll see. Game one tonight. Uh, Thanks, Ben. Always appreciate it, pal. Thanks so much for having me. Pleasure is mine. Uh, ben Goats from the Las Vegas Review-Journal covering the Vegas Golden Knights. Tonight is game one. Uh, and once again, it is... Uh, that game is your last start. Won't be your last finish, necessarily, the, given the nature of overtimes. Uh, 10 o'clock Eastern on Sportsnet 360. It is the uh, Golden Knights and the Winnipeg... or Sorry, 9.30, rather. Uh, the Vegas Golden Knights and the Winnipeg Jets. Watch that one on Sportsnet West. Uh, early games... Rangers and Devils. I'm not just interested in the game. I'm interested in the fans and how many Rangers fans make the trip to the rock for this one to cheer on their team. Watch it on Sportsnet 360. Uh, It's the Bolts and the Maple Leafs at 730 Eastern, Sportsnet Ontario, uh, East and Pacific, CBC as well, and also the Colorado Avalanche facing off against the Seattle Kraken, 10 o'clock Eastern. On Sportsnet 360, all right, everybody, catch your breath, have a bite, pour a cup of coffee, Elliot Friedman coming up in moments. We'll talk about the Calgary situation, a little bit on Vancouver from yesterday as well, and the action we saw, and the action still to come. Day two of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Elliot Friedman in moments, Sportsnet 360, and the Sportsnet Radio Network.
3: Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Bourne. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
0: Welcome back to the program. Uh, four big games around the Stanley Cup playoffs this evening. All gets underway with the Rangers and the Devils conclude with the avalanche and the kraken in between it's the jets and the golden knights and the toronto maple leafs and the tampa bay lightning he called it last year he's calling it again this year how different will it be 12 months later chris cuthbert from the nhl on sportsnet and hockey night in canada joins me now chris how are you
3: good, good to be with you, and uh, yeah, it's one of the best days
0: of the year for sure. Oh, it's always exciting. Uh, everyone's, every, I always like the, uh, the, the 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 photograph, you know, before the Stanley Cup begins, and then on the final day, and how everyone feels, and the grind is over, and how much it ages you. But uh, on a, on a day like this, it's it's nothing but excitement because every uh, every shift is just ratcheted up. Uh, there's so much gravity attached to every decision, every offside, every icing, every shot. Um and for the 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 series that you're calling here, you know, it's it's very specific because we understand the consequences for the Toronto Maple Leafs if they lose. But do you have a thought on what happens to Tampa if they lose? Do we start talking about the beginning of the end of this You know, this dynasty Tampa team. Like, flip the script here. We know what happens if Toronto gets dusted. What about Tampa?
3: It is a good question. Uh, And and it's it's a complex one when you've had so much success because... The loyalties to to these guys become such a a stronger bond and and to do what you have to do, probably to turn over a roster would be uh, would be excruciating for julian brisbois and and, yeah. and and that group uh, Will it be necessary it you know you could probably make a pretty strong case for it uh, tough to rebuild through you know piecing together draft choices when you've traded them all away so <laughs> Good yeah point. Good point. Uh, you know what where do you where do you go next and I, I don't think it's easy when you're when you're dealing with with a with a stamkos or a Headman, mm-hmm. where there's still value obviously because they're they're superstars but they are in their early thirties and, and probably have no intention of going anywhere.
0: Yeah. How do you, um, you know, I mentioned you did this series last year, you're doing it again this year. How do the two teams differ other than, you know, the obvious, you know, Ryan O'Reilly's with the Maple Leafs. Andre Pallad is no longer with Tampa, for example, other than, you know, the obvious and, you know, the, the roster construction, how are these two teams different? Do you, do you feel 12 months later?
3: Well, I, I think the Leafs, I, I think Tampa is the sneakiest, greasiest, most physical team in the playoffs. I agree. They, they just have that, and it doesn't get talked about as much because the, the talent overshadows it, but that is, I mean, it's not just Corey Perry, but I, I just think the Leafs are better equipped to handle that. It's like they they don't even have to blink about it anymore. I, d- I don't think we'll see Kyle Clifford in the first five minutes uh, taking a run at somebody <laughs> trying to send a message. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a time earlier in the year where I thought, no matter what and no matter how little he might be able to contribute on a fourth line that maybe Wayne Simmons has to be in to, to be a deterrent, but that this team's constructed now where they don't need that. Mm -hmm. Um, They're pretty strong throughout the lineup. Just, just on the roster though, I I did want to make this point. uh, I don't know if we'll get to it tonight, but you know, the narrative at the end of last year was the Leafs keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. Well, Eleven different guys will be on the 20-man roster for the Leafs tonight that mm. did not play in Game One last year. Now, Michael Bunting and Justin Hall didn't play Game One; they're available. But uh, right. and, and I'm including the two goaltenders uh, who last year were Campbell and Schalchgren. But uh, I, I still think, even with all that in mind, that's that's fairly substantial. And and uh, and the other part of that that uh, I've kind of dug into. And um, let me start with, with last year, at, at the end of my first little coach briefing with, with Sheldon Keefe, I, I said, are, are there any guys that you think can be difference makers for your team that we don't talk about? Mm. And he specifically said, I'm hoping that Ilya Makayev and Pierre Engvall can be our Andre Palat and Alex Kalorn. Mm. And that didn't happen.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And, in fact, I went back and the Leafs did not get a goal from a bottom eight forward in the final four games of that series. Now, Alex Kalorn didn't score in the entire playoffs either, but everybody uh-huh. knows what a difference maker Andre Palat made. And, and Kalorn could make up for lost time this year because he, he had a career season. But um, can, can the Leafs get other than the top 4 in Ryan O'Reilly can they get the same amount of contributions that a that a Hagel or a Nick Paul that we saw in game 7 can can they get that kind of uh, of matching uh, uh, performance to 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 kind of neutralize uh, the advantage Tampa's had over the over them
0: have you seen, and that is that is interesting too, because I, I wonder too, you know, which of these players that Kyle Dubas has brought in have the potential to be the most impactful? I know that Ryan O'Reilly will, you know, absorb a lot of the oxygen uh, around the conversation because he's the biggest name. Um, but I want to ask someone that's been in the system for a while with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and so much of this always comes down to goaltending. And I know that, you know, uh, looking at Vasilevsky is, is frightening and rightfully so. Um, The Hall of Fame awaits, you know, one of the elite of of, of all time. If, um, If Ilya Samsonov falters, have you seen enough from Joe Wall to say, if you're the Maple Leafs, you're comfortable going quickly to Wall?
3: I don't know if you've been eavesdropping at our in our booth over the last month or so, but uh you're you're speaking with and i i love what Samsonov's done this year, and I'm not expecting this, but uh you're speaking with a fan a a joseph wall fan and i I really think there's upside there, and i mm-hmm. just think that every time he's gone in. With the exception of a tough start, in the first start, I guess, the year against Columbus, where I don't, I didn't like the way the Leafs played in front of them, anyway. But I, I, I like Joseph Wall, and uh, and I think there's going to be a lot of Leaf playoff success in the future. Mm. Uh, and we've kind of. I know Craig Simpson and I have kind of thrown this around. Are we going to see Wall? When might we see Ma- Wall? Could it be Game Three? How mm-hmm. dire will it be by the time we get to see Wall? Um, you know, and I'm sure fans are at home. Leaf fans are saying, you know, we're we're good with Samsonov and he'll be he'll be great. And and I think that's probably the case. But if it did turn south in a hurry, I don't think this team's going to have any, any hesitation about Joseph Wall. Hmm. I even thought, to be honest with you, and um, I thought the Leafs might have looked at uh, uh, right before the trade deadline, finding out a way of whether or not they just commit to Wall and clear some gap more cap space uh, with the Matt Murray money for one more four to five million dollar player. And uh, mm. if you want to play the imagine or what-if game, uh, that one can be pretty enticing too. Absolutely.
0: Um, Chris, I, I want to ask you about you know th- this team, and um, you mentioned uh, the new players that, that Dubas has acquired. You, you mentioned the, goal, the goaltenders in the offseason that he went out and got. And around deadline, it's O'Reilly and it's Achari and it's Sam Lafferty, et cetera, Luke Shen. And those are interesting conversations to have. Don't get me wrong. But true or false, this team is going to go as far as the stars take them. The Matthews, the Marners, JT, uh, Nylander, Morgan Riley, etc. True or false, they will go as far as that group takes them.
3: Well, I, I will say false because I'm going to add one name that you, you didn't say, and that's Jake McCabe. And I think the sum of all mm. those secondary parts, is is going to be a difference maker. Nick Paul was the difference maker last year when it came down to it. Yeah. So I'm kind of back to that: who's going to be the Andre Palat or Alex Kalorn? That that if if Kucherov, who is you know out of this world, and Stamkos and Point uh, and Hedman draw even with uh, with the core four and Morgan Riley. Can you make a difference in the back end? I, I look at I look at Tampa's blue line and say that looks to me like a vulnerable spot, hmm. uh, where Nick Perbix is, who's had a good rookie year, is is going to be asked to do a lot, and uh, and Darren Radish, who has been just up for over a month, is is in that group of six and. Does Eric Chernak find the game that we've seen in the last couple of playoffs, as opposed to, you know, some of the struggles he's had this year? I, I, I think the Leafs' depth might be the what takes them over the top, and that's not to say that, uh, you know, Matthews and Marner and Nylander, they have they have got to be good. And I guess if they get to the level that everybody hopes to maybe they do tip the scales on their own, but uh, yeah. I, I think there's probably more than one way to skin the cat.
0: Let, let me ask you about Michael Bunting and I'm watching that Boston Florida game last night and I'm watching, you know, Bunting drive, you know, the 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 Florida Panthers to distraction and you know grabbing Nick Cousins stick and taking it on the bench and smashing the blade on the bench and, you know, doing the uh, the what me, you know, the, the all the all innocent uh, routine that he does and, and I'm thinking about Michael Bunting and if it were the exact same scenario uh, what would be the treatment and we've talked a lot about you know walking the line not crossing over it uh, and the Michael Bunting story this season if Michael Bunting is going to be his most effective player in this series against the Tampa Bay Lightning where as you correctly point out this team is I believe the term used greasy and nasty and you know a real tough team to play against if Michael Bunting is going to be effective and not cost his team, what should we look for in Bunting tonight?
3: I'm worried about Michael Bunting because I thought he tried to change his game in the last month, and it seems like everything that's happened before that is still, you know, is still on his account, and the referees are still intending to call the old Michael Bunting and not the reform Michael Bunting and And I agree with you if 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 Michael Bunting does what Tyler bertuzzi does did last night, <laughs> uh you know he 's going to be in the penalty box, and that 's going to yeah. be a dangerous game against the lightning because that 's such a potent power play that the Leafs have got to minimize um, so I am worried and it 's not because i i don't like michael bunting I, I think he's he's been on his best behavior for a few weeks now, and it hasn 't made a whole lot of difference in the eyes of the officials, mm-hmm. and so that that must be a little bit of concern. The one good thing, I, I, I think there may be less of the super pest now that he's back on the big line, and it looked like mm. he played the last week yeah. to stay on the big line. So, uh, I, you know, I think he can be a difference maker, you know, offensively. Uh, he's just got to walk the line a lot more carefully than Corey Perry or Brandon Hagel or Tyler Bertuzzi.
0: Interesting. Um, we talk so much about what the, the Maple Leafs have riding on this series and most notably the general manager, Kyle Dubas. But from a player point of view, maybe the answer is Ryan O'Reilly pending unrestricted free agent looking for the next contract. But is there is there one player you look at on this Maple Leafs roster and say, this is a big playoffs for this guy or this guy needs to, to do something to distinguish himself. This guy needs to be a point plus per game player, is there one skater on this Maple Leafs team that you look at and say, he needs a big one here?
3: Well, that's a good question, because I, I have a feeling, other than Ryan O'Reilly, uh, that most decisions might have already been made, and I could be wrong about that. Um, I think the one guy, and you said skater, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skate around that and say, uh, <laughs> if Samsonov stands on his head and becomes the story of these playoffs... Mm and he 's been open about wanting to stay um, you know that he 's on such a salary cap friendly contract now you know how how much can they pay Samsonov to stay? How much do they want to pay samsonov with with joseph wall uh, on his way so that's that 's one of the questions but um, you know, I, I think the blue line's kind of set uh, financially. McCabe's contract makes it a little easier and uh, whatnot. So it probably is Ryan O'Reilly. If uh, if it fizzles out in round one, um, then he probably is not a guy they'll try and work in and fit in. And maybe he looks for another destination anyway. But if he mm-hmm. is what everybody in Toronto hopes he is, um, that'll be a. That'll be an interesting negotiation, but one the Leafs will want to try and make work
0: for for both sides. For sure. Let me uh, let me finish up here, Chris. And it's a busy day for you. I, I appreciate your time as always. Let me finish up by asking you about Luke Shen and your thoughts on Luke Shen. And I think that if if the Maple Leafs want to get dragged into the the alley in this series, that only benefits the Tampa Bay Lightning. They're they're quite happy to play there. And so is Luke Shin. And I don't think it's lost on many people that watched that last Toronto-Tampa game and said, Luke Shin going at Pat Maroon the way that he did, former teammate, friend, the whole deal, as an indication that you're not going to push us around this time at all um, is a pretty big deal for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Not that they want to get sucked into that type of game, but I still think it was a message that you're not going to push us around. Given that they have to walk that line and not get dragged into a game that pleases Corey Perry and Patrick Maroon, et cetera. How do you see, how do you see Luke Shen fitting into these, this, this series against Tampa?
3: Well, I think you nailed it. Just exactly what happened in Tampa was exactly why he is of value to the Leafs. And, and, uh, an important part of the of, of the series, at least. I mean, it'd be easy to say, you know, what we're going to play Eric Gustafson because he makes our second power play go. He might even make our first power play go. And mm. and think about that. You maybe your best uh, power play defenseman can't even crack the lineup, but but at least uh, in the near term, it's because Luke uh, does um, he does play a valuable role in in maybe neutralizing. You know, you think of how many times the that fourth line for Tampa Bay can can change momentum. Oh yeah. And John Cooper's talked a lot about uh, creating momentum, and then when you lose it, being able to snuff out the other team's momentum as soon as possible. And that fourth line has done such a great job because Maroon and Perry are are physical. They're they're big and they're a, a pain in the butt to play against. And 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 Luke Shen might you know, be able to diffuse that to a certain point mm-hmm. almost better than any of the other blue liners with the I guess Giordano and McCabe are the same kind of guys in that way that can uh, can maybe put that fire out, but but Shen might be the best in a in a
0: in a physical role. This is uh this is gonna be a fun series. Uh consequences all over the place. Uh and exceptional play as well. Uh Chris we'll be watching tonight. You and Craig always have a great call. Uh tonight should be no difference. Uh, game one, Toronto Maple Leafs. Tampa Bay Lightning. Cece, thanks as always for stopping by.
3: Awesome, and I'm, I'm holding you guys to Hearns-Hagler round one. I, oh. I,
0: I, I want to sign up for that. Listen, I don't know how many times I've watched a bad boxing match and then gone to YouTube just like to cleanse my palate of boxing and watch that three-rounder from Vegas. It's like, oh, no, I need to see what a real boxing match looks like, and I'll watch Hagler and Hearns all it over never again. It gets old, and, oh. and
3: this, this series might feel the same way by the time it's over. So Finger, thanks.
0: Fingers crossed. Thanks, Cece. Cheers. Yeah, the great Chris Cuthbert from the NHL on Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, Him and Craig Simpson have the call tonight. It is the Tampa Bay Lightning facing off against the Toronto Maple Leafs. And once again, tonight up for grabs. Rangers, Devils, watch it on Sportsnet 360 at 7 o'clock Eastern at 7.30. It's the Bolts and the Leafs. they watch that one on CBC, Sportsnet East, Ontario, and Pacific. Jets and the Golden Knights at 9.30 on Sportsnet West. Hellebuck versus Brassois and the late game, on Sportsnet 360, the Seattle Kraken facing off against the Colorado Avalanche. Thanks to all of our guests. Connor McGehee, Ben Goats, Elliot Friedman. You just heard from Chris Cuthbert. Uh, the returning Matt Marchese. Thank you very much. Lance Kennedy, Jen Rolnick all had plans to make this a good show. But unfortunately, I had other plans. Thanks for joining me. Day two tonight. Stanley Cup playoffs. Enjoy them. The Merrick Show returns tomorrow. 22 hours. From now, four big games, enjoy it, watch as much as you can. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Stanley Cup playoffs. Talk to you tomorrow.